Well, good morning. It's wonderful to once again be uh, together in uh, in kind of a togetherness. Uh, it's a, an unusual time in the history of our day in life, but this is a special day, of course, because it's Resurrection Sunday, and of course, He has risen. And so we want to start our time and just uh, bow our heads with a, for a word of prayer and ask our risen Lord to attend to our time together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know that you are alive. We who have faith in Jesus Christ, our risen Savior, know without a shadow of a doubt what your word tells us. We believe it. And we know it to be true. And life today is uh, a life of joy, a life of uh real exuberant rejoicing because the grave is empty. And we long for the day when we will be with you and knowing that we too will one day be raised from uh, the dead. And so we are grateful for that, Lord, this morning as we celebrate you, we celebrate life. We celebrate you being life. You are the way, the truth, and the life. And so we celebrate that, and we thank you for it. We know all across this globe, all across your creation, that there are Christian believers who, while not being able to be together physically, are worshiping and celebrating the resurrected life of our Savior. And so we're grateful for that. We know that there is no salvation in anyone else other than Jesus Christ. And so we praise you for the salvation that we have by faith in Christ alone. Lord, we would ask today that you would dole the ears of those who may hear a false gospel, that they would not uh, succumb to the deception of the evil one, that you would graciously and mercifully grant them salvation in your Son through faith. And Lord, we will ask that that those who do not know you, that whatever they hear this day from from friends and family and neighbors and even through formats like this, that they would be convicted in their hearts as to their own sin and how they should repent and believe upon Jesus Christ. So we thank you for this day, even though we're not together. We're mindful of uh, our togetherness in spirit, but togetherness in Christ. And so we're grateful for that. We ask your blessing upon our time in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to ask you to open your Bibles for a moment to Luke chapter 24 as we begin our time. I want to read a rather lengthy portion of Luke chapter 24 just to have our mindset on the resurrection this morning. I'm going to actually begin in chapter 23 and verse 50 and read down through verse 12. Chapter 23, And behold, a man named Joseph, who was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, he had not consented to their plan and action, a man from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who was waiting for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. He took it down, wrapped it in a linen cloth, laid him in a tomb, cut into the rock where no one had ever lain. It was the day of preparation. The Sabbath was about to begin. Now, the women who had come with him out of Galilee followed after and saw the tomb 
and how his body was laid, and they returned and prepared spices and perfumes. And on the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. When they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling apparel. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again? And they remembered his words and returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now they were... Now they were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James. Also the other women with them were telling these things to the apostles. These words appeared to them to be nonsense as they would not believe them. But Peter, Peter arose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in, and he saw the linen wrappings only. And he went away to his home, marveling at that which had happened. It's a glorious reminder to us of the facts of the resurrection, the fact that Jesus Christ is alive. And on this resurrection morning, I want to do something a little different as we think about what's happening. Of course, as I've said, this is, at least in the church calendar, resurrection Sunday. This is the day when we celebrate the factual reality of the tomb being empty because, as we read, Jesus is alive. And I read this account from Luke's gospel simply to remind us of the events, the brief description that we have, at least here in Luke's gospel, of what took place on that morning. I was thinking of that time this morning and thinking of the unusual reality of what we're facing here as I even preached to you this morning to an empty church. The church being empty is something unusual to us on a glorious Sunday morning. It wasn't necessarily unusual to the early disciples and those who went to the tomb that morning for they on this first Easter morning were alone, small group, not gathered in a church. They were, frankly, gathered in a place locked behind a door for fear of those who might come and arrest them because now the tomb was empty. And so here we are, ironically, in 2020, on a resurrection morning in an empty church, and yet we are, some people at least in our world, hopefully not any of us who know Jesus Christ, but some people are fearful fearful of many things. Even some who are gathering today are fearful of the authorities coming for them. And so we are currently living in strange times. This is 
a different Easter Sunday for all of us. The current situation that the world is attempting to deal with is, in fact, strange. And one of the oddest things about it is the continual emphasis we hear on a regular basis about death. We hear of it in a constant stream of news reports, and we notice the severity of all of this from the fact that we even know someone who has died. For the world, all of this just causes them to fear, causes them to have a greater and greater anxiety every day as they look through the details of what is happening. And yet, every day in our country, here in the West, hundreds of thousands of people die every day. I was looking at some statistics even this week, it was interesting to note that over 300,000 people die in of unnatural causes every year, like motor vehicle accidents and other kinds of accidents that happen. 300,000 people. Millions, sadly, of unborn children are murdered every year through the hands of selfish humanity. And yet we hear very little about any of that And with all of this death around us, certainly it causes us to think about ways of avoiding its coming. And we Christians find even a greater joy and a greater wonder in the resurrection as it lays as a backdrop for death. But what I want us to think on today is the fact that many have no understanding. Many have no understanding that make attempts to avoid natural death, they have no understanding that all of their attempts to avoid natural death have no bearing on a death that all men will face. Of course, I'm speaking of spiritual death. The death that many refuse to talk about. The death that many, even in the truth of the resurrection this morning, in many places will use it as a, as a kind salve to those who want to ignore the reality of spiritual death. The death that many want to avoid and don't even want to talk about and that many religions, sadly, are falsifying even today. So I want to ask you this morning to take your Bibles with me and turn to an unusual passage that would probably not be preached or turned to on a Resurrection Sunday, but I think it's appropriate for us in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. And I want to spend our time focusing our attention on verses 13 through 27. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 27. And I want to start just by reading these verses to us. Beginning in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate, because the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and many are those who enter by it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and few are those who find it. So beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. 
you will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then, you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them may be compared to a wise man who built his house upon the rock. The rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and burst against that house and yet it did not fall for it had been founded upon the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act upon them will be like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and burst against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Of course, Matthew chapter 7 is the end of probably the most famous sermon of all time, preached by the greatest preacher of all time, and it ends with the most important truth of all time. Jesus has been preaching about the kingdom of God. He began that message back in Matthew chapter 5. He has spoken about the attitudes and actions of true kingdom citizens, those who truly are part of the kingdom of God, so that by the time you get to chapter 7 and verse 13, where we are beginning our study this morning, he begins to give an answer to the most important question that is on the minds of all who would be listening to the message. The question is this, what is the way into the kingdom of God? What is the way into the kingdom of God? And he begins by revealing reality. He's not speaking about illusion. He's not speaking about probabilities. He is speaking about reality. And he lists here two ways and two outcomes, and they are given by way of two roadmaps. Two ways, two outcomes, two roadmaps. And so let's just begin to to look at this briefly and, and quickly this morning. Let's begin with the two ways. You notice they're right here in verse 13 and verse 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for that gate is small and the way is narrow, or enter by the 
wide gate, for there is a gate that is wide and the way is broad. It's a very simple and simply understood analogy that he's using. The comparison is very clear. One way is narrow and small. The other way is wide and large. One way is relatively unaccommodating. It is constrictive. It is limiting. The other way is very accommodating. It is open. There's no restraints. There's no limitations. One way allows entry only according to a certain criteria. The other way allows entry through various means. By the way, the idea of narrow is the idea of single file, if you will. You think of yourself in a single file line, not with six feet between people as we live in right now, but single file, no no wiggle room, if you will, only enough room for yourself. No baggage is allowed. You can't bring anything with you. You are by yourself. That's the kind of path it is. It is a by yourself path. It is hard. It is difficult. The idea of wide is the idea of as many as can be. Open, uh, full of room, all kinds of space, enough room for you and enough room for all the others who are with you and who want to be with you. Bring whatever you want. It really doesn't matter. There's room for it. It's free and it's easy. So these are the two options. These are the two options that Jesus presents to the kingdom of God. One being very constrictive, the other being wide open. Both are advertised as gates to the kingdom of God. Both are advertised with the sign, if you will, before them, this is the way into the kingdom of God. Both have no visible hazards at the entrance. One way is just narrow. The other way is wide open. What are the two outcomes? What are the two outcomes that these lead to. We we get an idea of the outcomes right here at the very beginning. Notice that one leads to life and the other one leads to destruction. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad. That leads to destruction. For the gate is small, verse 14, and the way is narrow. That leads to life. Jesus exhorts us, enter by the narrow way. That is the way of life. You go by the wide road, the easy road, the open road, the unconstrictive road. It is a road to death. And what is meant here is not physical death. Jesus is not preaching a contrast about physical death. Otherwise, the contrast that he makes here makes no sense at all if it's physical death. He would have said life and death rather than life and destruction. What is meant here is ultimate life, ultimate death. He's speaking about life and death after this physical life and death. He's speaking about life not on this earth. He's speaking about life as a citizen in heaven. It is a kingdom of Heaven, just as he says in verse 21, where he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. We are, we are speaking of the eternity. We are speaking of our eternal place. That's what Jesus is talking about. The narrow gate is the entrance to eternal life. 
eternal life. And the wide gate is the entrance to eternal destruction. Not annihilation, not going out of existence, not a non-existent existence, as if this life is all there is, and after this you just go to dust and nothing else happens. No, this is eternal torment, eternal horrific suffering forever. And so this is a serious message. The contrast is set. The two ways have been presented. The two outcomes have been revealed. One way is narrow, and it leads to life. One way is wide, and it leads to destruction. The irony, the irony even here, the irony of it all is that the result is the exact opposite of what we might imagine. Because upon first hearing these words, it's unnatural, or I should say it's not unnatural to see why many choose the wide road. That's what it says here. Many are those who enter by it. Many are those who enter the wide road. It's not unnatural to see why many choose the wide road. By the way, the word many, palus, it's, it's the majority. That's the idea, the majority. This isn't a small group. This is a very large group, an abundant amount. This is the outcome of the nature of all humanity. We tend to go toward what is easier, that which costs us less. That which accommodates our desires, that which accommodates our wants, that which will help us in the way we want help. And the narrow gate, as we have said, is more restrictive. It's harder to get through. It's less accommodating. And in fact, the result is, as we see here, that few, verse 14, few are those who actually go that way. Few, oligos in the original language means puny, puny, puny by way of extent, puny by way of degree, puny by way of number, puny by way of value, by duration. It's the idea that's used as an adjective for all of those kind of things. So it's, it's a very small amount. One is an abundant amount and the other is a very, very small amount. No wonder there are many on the wide road. We are not surprised until until we see the outcome, destruction. Until we see the outcome that the wide road leads to destruction. Why are so many then on the wide path? Why? Why would they want to go the way of the wide gate when it leads to destruction? Why would so few not go that way? Well, because if we have noted already, the way of life is narrow. The way of life is narrow. That word means, really, the idea of a a, a road that's filled with obstacles. Obstacles. In other words, it's not easy. And there are many... 
that road's not easy, and, and over here on the wide, there are so many that are going that other way. The narrow way is a lonely way. It's, it's narrow. It's restrictive. It, it seems foolish. If so many are going the other way, how can so many be wrong? Surely, surely if God is love, why would He send so many to destruction? Or we could ask it another way. Why are there so few on the narrow way? Why are there so few on the narrow way? Here's the answer that our text will reveal to us as we look at it. Because they follow a false gospel. Why are so few on the narrow way or why are so many on the wide way? Because they follow a false gospel. You notice the two ways and the two outcomes. Here's the two roadmaps. Here's the two roadmaps. And it's here for us in verses 15 through 27. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You'll know them by their fruits. Of course, then Jesus gives an illustration that is from agriculture, that you don't get certain types of fruits from the wrong kind of tree or the wrong kind of bush. Grapes aren't gathered from a thorn bush. Figs aren't gathered from thistles. No, they're gathered from a fig tree. Grapes are gathered from a grape bush. So you don't get the opposite. Even so, every good tree bears good fruit. In other words, trees do what trees are supposed to do. They produce exactly what is their makeup. Bad trees bear bad fruit. A good tree can't produce a bad fruit. It's an impossible reality. It's not what they are. Same with a bad tree producing good fruit. It's not what they are. They can't do something that they aren't by nature. And so Jesus gives that consequence. Every good tree doesn't bear good fruit, is cut down, thrown into the fire. If, or every tree that doesn't bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. In other words, if it isn't doing what it's cultivated to do, it's, it's garbage. It needs to be thrown out. And Jesus is saying, you'll know the false teachers by that. They might appear to be good. They might appear to be what they are, but they're, they're saying things and doing things that are actually damning. They're damning things. They may say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this? Lord, didn't we operate under this? Didn't we say the name Jesus? Didn't we talk about Jesus? Didn't we think about Jesus? Weren't these things all about Jesus? Didn't we bring people to the church and say, you need to to follow Jesus? Didn't we say, like I heard this morning on, on one program, that because Jesus rose from the dead, everybody will be saved. He rose to save everybody. All that say to me, Lord, Lord, will not enter the kingdom of heaven. They may say they did these things, but I'll declare to them, I never knew you. There are two roadmaps happening here in these verses. And I trust you noticed them as I was thinking about them with you. The roadmap for the wide way is given by those described as pseudo-prophetes, false prophets, those who are saying things that sound good, things that sound right. 
They give all the answers to the questions I might have. Sounds logical, makes human sense, but it's a lie. It's false information. False information about what? What are they giving false information about? About where the road actually leads. About what the end of the res- end of the road is. About the end result of the path. They say that it leads to the kingdom of God. They say that it leads to the kingdom of heaven, but it does not. It leads to an eternity of suffering. And so Jesus says, beware of them. Beware of them. They're out there. There are many of them out there. They're selling their story. It sounds good. It uses all similar terms. But beware. Beware. Prosecco. That's a word. It's an amazing word. It means hold your mind towards something. Pay attention. That's what he's saying. Pay attention. It's easy to be drawn away if you don't pay attention, verse 15. Beware, prosecco, beware of the false prophets. Apply yourself to this very thing. Apply yourself to understand and know the true gospel because beware, false prophets are there. They're crafty. They're crafty. But there's a way to tell if they're false by their fruit. By their fruit. Jesus says, listen, the outcome of their lives are a clear revealer of the falseness of their message. The outcome of their lives, the way they live, the way they do life, the way they carry about their life, it's a, it's a clear reality. It's a clear uncoverer, a revealer of the falseness of their message. They are crafty. They are subtle. All of it sounds good, but it's damning. It leads to one place and one place only. In fact, Jesus uses a very strong term to say who they are. They are ravenous wolves. They are ravenous wolves. In other words, if you believe their message, it will tear you to shreds just like a wolf tears a sheep to shreds. It will end in an eternal death. So watch out, Jesus said. Watch out for them. And don't be surprised by them. That's the, that's the message that we should be taking away, the idea that we should be understanding from verse 21 to 23. Don't be surprised at them because they'll use the same language. Lord, no, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, not everyone who says, oh, God, I, I believe God will enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because they're fruit. He who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Do you see the contrast? A life that is completely different. Many will say to me, didn't we do these things? Didn't we follow after you with words, prophesying in your name? Didn't we follow after you with with activity that appeared to be miraculous because it was being done as if the demons weren't infiltrating all of that? We cast them out. We perform these things in your name. I will declare to you, I'll declare to them, I never knew you. I never knew you. They're ravenous wolves. And so what was their message? What was their exact message? The wide road, those those 
standing at the gate, if you will, of the wide road that leads to destruction. What what is their message? Well, I can only speculate on on the reality of it because we don't know exactly what they're saying unless you listen to some of the false teachers of today. But in essence, they're simply saying, don't worry about anything. Don't worry about it. If you're a good person, don't worry about it. Jesus died for you. If you lived a good life, don't worry about it. The resurrection's for you. If you're a religious person, perfect. That's what we're all about. You say you believe. You celebrate Easter. And you'll be in the kingdom of God. You're okay with God. But do you notice? Do you notice the most important thing? The most important truth is missing from their words. A belief in the deity of Jesus Christ. A belief in the reality that Jesus Christ is God and a trust in Him and His Word alone for entrance into the kingdom. That's what's missing from their message. Notice what verse 23 says. And then I will declare to them... I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Do you notice the personal way in which Jesus drives this message home? This is Jesus preaching about the kingdom of heaven. And right here in verse 23, Jesus makes it very personal. He brings in that first person pronouns, the I and the me. This is about him This is a message about Him. Jesus makes this personal. It is not about a message. This is about embracing Jesus Christ. This isn't about saying words that sound religious or saying a message and using the words of Lord, Lord, or some other religious words. This is about Jesus Christ. Many will say to me, he says in verse 22 on that day. And then I will say to them, and I never knew you. This is about Jesus Christ. This is about standing before Jesus Christ. This is a message from him that without him, there is no kingdom. Without Jesus Christ, you are not entering the kingdom. The narrow way begins with embracing Jesus Christ. The wide way is a Christless way. It's a way that has no real Jesus. It may use the name Jesus. It may spell it with the same letters that we spell the name Jesus. But it is a Christless, it is a godless Jesus. It is the false way. It's the way of human religion. The way of human achievement. And it's the way that ends in eternal death. The narrow way is the way of Christ. It is the way of Jesus only. It's the true way. It's the way of eternal life. In fact, it is the only way into the kingdom of God because Jesus is God and He is alive. 
So Jesus gives the conclusion of his message after saying these striking, striking, shocking words. And the conclusion is for all of us to answer this question. Who will you listen to? Who will you listen to? Who are you going to get your directions from? Who are you going to listen to for directions into the kingdom of heaven? Notice what he says in verse 24. Therefore, in other words, in light of what I have just said, in light of what I have preached, in light of what a kingdom citizen looks like, and in light of the way into the kingdom, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them, it may be compared to a wise man who built his house upon the rock. The rain descended, and the floods came, the winds blew, burst against that house, yet it did not fall, for it had been founded upon the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act upon them will be like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, floods came, winds blew, and burst against that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them. What words? What words? What, what words is Jesus referring to when he uses that? Well, I believe he's referring certainly to the words that he has just preached in Matthew chapter 5 through Matthew chapter 7, this, this sermon that he is preaching at that time. But, but in a greater sense, he's speaking of the whole Scriptures. He is the God who has, by the God the Spirit, authored the Scriptures. All of the Scriptures are his words. These words of Jesus Christ here in the Scriptures, he who listens to the words of mine and acts upon them. These words of God incarnate in the entire Scriptures. These words of truth about Jesus Christ being God. Now he came to this earth. Now he came from the glories of heaven became a man. Philippians 2 clearly tells us how he lived a perfect life, fully submissive to the will of God the Father, and how he was unjustly killed at the hands of wicked humanity, and how he rose from the dead to new life. This is the message of Jesus. This is what he is exhorting all people to act upon when he says, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them. He is really reiterating what the Scriptures say all over the place. Proverbs 9 and verse 6, Forsake your folly and live and proceed in the way of understanding. Isaiah 55 and verse 7, Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return to the Lord, and he will have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. 
or as the prophet Ezekiel was speaking to the nation of Israel in their time of wickedness and turning from God, Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 27 says again, when a wicked man turns away from his wickedness, which he has committed and practices practices justice and righteousness, he will save his life. Why? Because he considered and turned away from his transgressions, which he had committed. He shall surely live and shall not die. But the house of Israel says, this was in their disobedience, the house of Israel says, the way of the Lord is not right. The road that God has given is not right. That's what Israel was saying. And God says to them, are my ways not right, O Israel? Is it not your ways that are not right? Therefore, I will judge you, each according to his conduct, declares the Lord God. Repent and turn away from all your transgressions so that the iniquity may not become a stumbling block to you. Cast away from you all your transgressions which you have committed and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. He's not saying for them to do that personally. He's saying that's the way God is promising to, to do that in you when you repent and turn to Him, turn from your sin. For why will you die, He says, for I have no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies. Therefore, Repent and live. Turn to the New Testament in John chapter 10, verse 9. Jesus says, I'm the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. And will go in and out and find pasture. Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, as the church is beginning, Peter says to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to Himself. And with many other words, He solemnly testified and kept exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. That's the message of Jesus Christ. That's the words that Jesus is referring to, the words of mine. It is the message of Him, the message that He is life, the message that He is the door, the message that belief upon Him is the only way into the kingdom of heaven, turning from your sin, repenting of your sin, and turning to Him. Believe upon Jesus Christ, you're compared to a wise man. A wise man who built his house upon the rock and when the deluge of life and the deluge of this world came crushing in and crushing down. Nothing could destroy that house. Why? Because it had been founded upon the rock, on Jesus Christ. Not to heed the words of Jesus is to be a fool, this text says. Once again, the comparison is here. Narrow, wide, life, destruction, a false Message, a true message, a fool and a wise man. Do not follow the words of Jesus. Verse 26, everyone who hears the words of mine and does not act upon them will be like a foolish man. One who builds his house not, not upon the rock, but upon sand. 
The rains come, the deluge of life comes, the winds blow, they burst against the house, and it falls. It's destroyed. It's destruction. Follow the false words of some is to end only in that place of destruction. But to act upon the words of Jesus Christ, to repent of your sin, to believe upon Jesus Christ for salvation as the risen Lord and Savior is to be founded on the rock. To embrace Jesus Christ, to entrust yourself to Him, to what He has said concerning Himself, to turn from your sin, to follow after Him, to live according to what His Word says, to follow His Word, as John 15 says, to remain in Him, the only living and true God. That is to enter the narrow way. Narrow way. And beloved, this is what we preach. This is what we preach. This is what we proclaim. This is who we are. We preach Christ crucified. Why? Because of our sin. Christ was crucified because of our sin. We preach Christ crucified. We saw it this morning in Luke chapter 23 as Joseph, one of the Sanhedrin, comes to take the body of Jesus Christ and to place Him in the grave. We, we, we preach Christ crucified. Why? Because our sin is so damning. We need a crucified Christ because our sin required it. Sin we could never pay the ultimate penalty for. Sin that we could never satisfy the ultimate penalty before a holy God, but Christ did. Christ was crucified. Christ died because of our sin. But, but He was made alive because of His righteousness. I love those words in Luke chapter 24. Why are you here seeking the dead among the living? Why are you looking for the dead in a place where only the dead are? Christ is not dead. He is alive. And so we preach Christ crucified because of our sin. We preach Christ crucified because He's now alive because of His righteousness. He satisfied the wrath of God. So we preach the resurrection. We preach that Jesus is alive. And that any who might believe upon Him will, in fact, be saved. Verse 28 and 29 of Matthew chapter 7 says, the result, the result of this message, the result of Jesus preaching from chapter 5 on, the result of this best message that could ever be preached was that Jesus had finished these words, the multitudes were amazed at His teaching. They were amazed. Not amazed because they believed who He was. Not amazed because they began to believe His words, some surely. But few. They were amazed because He was teaching them as one having authority. As one speaking as if these words were His and His only. Not as the scribes who quoted their favorite teachers and quoted their favorite authors and quoted the teachers who went before them. Jesus was speaking, quoting 
no one but himself. Which only puts more weight on those personal pronouns in verses 21 to 23, where he speaks of many will say to me, and I will declare to them, I never knew you. Listen, the important thing here is that you know Jesus. Some people say they know Jesus, but the most important thing is that Jesus knows you. Jesus, the only way Jesus will know you is through you believing in him. Repenting of your sin, turning from sin to Jesus Christ, that you might have life in his name. Now I want us to end our time this morning by turning over to Mark chapter 16. We looked at Luke 24. We spent some time here in Matthew chapter 7. I want us to go over to Mark chapter 16. We began with the resurrection. I want to end our time by hearing of the resurrection once again from another gospel writer. Beginning in verse 1, when the Sabbath day was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? It was a dilemma. They didn't know how they were going to get to the body of Jesus Christ, who was going to roll away the tomb stone. And they were saying to one another, Who's going to do this? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away. Even though it was an extremely large stone, they were amazed at this. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right, wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. And he said to them, Don't be amazed. Don't be amazed. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene. I I know who you're looking for. The one who's been crucified? He has risen. He has risen. He is not here. Behold, here's the place where they laid him. Now go. You go. You tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you into Galilee. And there you will see him just as he said to you. Once again, the words of Jesus, believe my words. He who acts upon these words of mine, Jesus has dispatched them. He dispatched them before his death. And now he's telling them through the angel, go and tell them exactly what Jesus said again. Remind them of that again. Go to Galilee because I'm going to meet you there. And they went out and they fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had gripped them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. And after they had risen early the first day of the week, He appears to Mary Magdalene, for whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and reported those who had been with him while they were mourning and weeping. And they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her. What did they do? They refused to believe it. After that, he appeared in a different form to two other of them. Luke 24 tells us on the road to Emmaus, he appeared to two others while they were walking along the way in the country. They went away and reported it to the others, but they didn't believe. And afterwards, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining 
They're in that room. It's Easter. They're afraid. They think the, the, the authorities are going to come and arrest them. Here they are. They're in that room, and Jesus comes into their presence. And what does he do? He reproaches them for their unbelief, their hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who had seen him after he had risen. Two ways, narrow way and a wide way, two outcomes, life and destruction, two roadmaps. One's false, the other is true. One's the words of men, the other is the words of Jesus Christ. One way leads to life, the other leads to eternal death. One way is a false message, the other way is true. One trusts in human achievement, the other trusts in a risen Savior, Jesus Christ. The Scriptures declare it. The eyewitnesses have seen it. It has been spoken just as it was. We must believe. We must believe. That's why we're here. That's why we worship. That's why we celebrate. And so I would exhort you this day that you declare this message to your friends. You declare this message to your family on this resurrection day and pray that they too will no longer be foolish. That they will listen to the words of Jesus Christ. While the world focuses on death, we can focus on life, eternal life, eternal life in the only risen Savior, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Father, once again, we thank you for the truth Lord, these are strange times that you have allowed us to be in. Odd as it is for us to be together, but not together. Odd for us as those who believe upon Jesus Christ to be sitting in front of some kind of electronic device, listening, thinking through, praying about, wondering about, anticipating the day when family and friends and co-workers will be able to be around them and they can share the great news of Jesus Christ once again about this resurrection day, the day when you destroyed death. Death could not hold you in the grave for you are the author of life. You said it, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And to know you is to know eternal life. And so, Lord, we pray this day, this resurrection celebration day, that all of those who know you personally, all of those who have turned from their sin, embraced Jesus Christ by faith, that they would take this message and declare it to others, that they too might know 
you as Savior. And for all those many, many who are on the wide road, Lord, we pray that out of your mercy and grace, by some means, you would save them. We know that not all will be saved, for your word clearly tells us that many are they who go to destruction. And so, Lord, we don't know those numbers, but we know that you graciously save, for your word tells us you take no pleasure in the death of anyone. So, Lord, this morning, impress these things upon our heart as we celebrate this resurrection with our families. Lord, may we find a great joy in the midst and be a light in the midst of such a dark, deadly time. Thank you for our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.